listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me on the show. This is episode 142. That means that we have over 70 hours of free content that can help you to become more effective at business development. You can Google the Rainmaking Podcast and find all the different places where we have it, or you could go to our site link, therainmakingpodcast.com, and see all the places that actually push out our show. Our show today is featuring Phil Jones. Now, Phil's name is probably familiar to you. We had him on the show a little bit over a year ago. He's also an internationally acclaimed author on the topic of influence and sales. And we're going to continue on with the conversation we had before on his book, Exactly What to Say. Now, make sure you connect with Phil. You can go to the show notes and get his links to connect with him on LinkedIn. And also, I'd highly recommend ordering his book. It's a book that is an easy read, and it's going to be very effective and give you some great ideas on how to say exactly what you need to say to your clients. Thanks for listening. As always, this show is sponsored by Leopard Solutions, Legal Intelligence Suite of Products, Firmscape, and Leopard BI. Push ahead of the pack with the power of Leopard. I hope you get some great ideas from my conversation with Phil today. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love with the Rainmaking Podcast. I've got our special guest today, internationally acclaimed author and speaker, Phil Jones. Phil, thanks for joining me on the show today. Hey, Scott. Thanks for having me here. It's always a joy to connect. Absolutely. And you're somebody that I've been following, I think, ever since 2017 was when I bought your book. And I read it, and I bought it on Kindle, and I highlighted it, and I realized I'm actually highlighting the entire book because everything you had to say <laughs> uh, was actually very helpful. So give me, give me some background. What was it that led up to you writing that book? I want to kind of find out about that first, and then we'll kind of dig into the topic. Uh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the content of that book has been part of my body of work for some time. So we've been training <laughs> leaders in sales and non-sales roles that are interested in either getting more from their existing customers, getting customers to come back more often, or getting them to spend more money when they shop. Since about, oh, what are we looking at now? Like 2003. And part of my trainings, part of my curriculum that's always been introduced to those teams has been sprinklings of magic words. Yeah. Circa 2011, 2012, I wrote a, a little PDF that was to accompany some of my trainings. It was called 17 Sequences of Magic Words. It was a little two-page giveaway. find myself at a, um, a networking event with other speaker, coaches, consultants, authors, saying how hard it was to get published. Little old me says it's easy. You could turn it around in a few weeks. They say right. put your money where your mouth is. And, and four weeks later, I published a book, 2012, called Magic Words. But it was more me delivering on the promise of the bet to my peers than producing my best work. It took that two-page PDF and just blew it up in the book. But you won. You taught them a lesson. <laughs> yeah. And the book was useful, right? It was a giveaway at events. It was lead capture. It was all sorts of things that were useful in my business. It provided credibility and platform. And we did hundreds and hundreds of thousands of units in that book. Mm. 2017 is coming to my geographic move from the UK to the US. The question was, why? what do I need to be able to move from a global business to a, a North American business? Mm -hmm. Need a new book? That would help put speaker bureaus starting to better think. Phil's got something new to talk about. Instead of doing a new book, I just went back and said, well, hold on. Magic's Words was a successful EP. Let's write the album, produce yeah. the album. And right. that's where the book came from. But I think... The puzzle 
that has always remained true has been twofold. One is I can work with teams all around the world that have hustle, have grind, have all of the right ingredients around product knowledge and care for people, et cetera, to get results where they struggle, finding the right words at the right time in order to be able to make moments of influence matter. And then the difference between good and great, having trained more than 2 million sales professionals around the world, is those that crush it put time, effort, and energy into word choices. Yeah, that's interesting. So let me ask you, let me kind of take that. You said those that crush it put time and energy, and what else did you say into word choices? Probably effort too. They put time, energy, effort, and effort energy. Yep. into word choices. That's great. So why, why do you think, well, let me ask you this. Is there a thought model people should follow as they're thinking about what to say next when they're talking with prospective clients? Oh, there's a huge amount people should be thinking on. And the first is that the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is in the moment you're saying it. Yeah. What do you mean by that exactly? What I mean by that is so many times we find ourselves coming away from conversations thinking shoulda, woulda, coulda. We come away from conversations thinking who was that idiot and the person we were talking about (laughs) ourselves. If you put more time into pre-briefing conversation as opposed to debrief, then what you'd actually do is you'd use the same amount of time. You'd just be way more efficient. And for Raymakers, there are really three areas that I'd say to focus on getting ready, ready, ready for. One okay. is a category that I call later today, i.e. what is the time you've already documented to your schedule to be able to meet and converse with people where it's imperative that you get result from that meeting or converse? What if you could just get some more thoughtful thought around that activity before you find yourself into it? Mm. Start with later today, get better at that, then work on later this week, later this month, later this year, and get ahead of the moment you're going to find yourself in, looking for levels of success out of that action, as opposed to did I win or did I lose? How do I create multiple levels? There's always more on the table. So later today is the first habit. Okay. Second habit is known objections. In every industry, people are faced with known objection, known objection, known objection. And whether it's a consistent evergreen objection or a topical objection that exists because of something that's happening within the market at that time, is we knew it was coming and people behave like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah, that's right. I'm like, well, you should have seen that coming because that's (laughs) what a pro would do, right? They'd know that that's how other people might look to be able to behave. They'd know their enemy. And when you do the work to understand the objections that you're going to face, You don't have to get good at overcoming objections. You can get good at uncovering and avoiding objections, which is very, very different. You can help people understand whether you're a right fit for them a lot earlier in the decision-making process as opposed to shooting and then realizing that you've now got friction and then having to uncover that friction. Yeah. But you've got later today, known objections. And the third thing, which is probably worthy of more focus, is what I call critical conversations. And by critical conversations, I mean the moments within the moments that have the most over-indexing success factor on the overarching outcome. So I could argue, for example, a critical conversation in my life is every time I interact with my wife, right? The conversations with my wife are going to affect my life. But I can't just focus on every conversation with my wife. What I can do is I can say, well, I leave the house a lot and I'm back to the house a lot. I leave the house a lot. I'm back from the house a lot. I travel a lot with the kind of work that I do. So actually, the most critical conversation is what comes out of my mouth the first 30 seconds when I re-enter the home from being away on a trip. Right. This is an inflection point, right? Right. And I can put a lot of thoughtful thought around that. And I think every human being on the planet should be working a critical conversation in their personal life, one is who they are as a leader, and one that's going to put money in their pocket, and actually find the moments within the moments that are likely to have the biggest impact. 
So tell me that again, Phil. You just mentioned something, and I wanted to make sure I understood that. You said that each of us have the conversation in our head. And, and say that again, please. What I'm saying here is we should all be working three critical conversations at all okay. time. One personal, one leadership, and one that's going to put money in our pocket. Have thoughtful thought around that ahead of time so that what we can do is we can show up to those moments with a lot more intent. Yeah. So let me ask you this. You mentioned that what a pro does, a pro will get good at uncovering and avoiding objections rather than overcoming them. That's right. Can I, can I, let's go down that path a little bit there. What have you seen in your world and working with organizations that really do believe in training their people who are in the business of getting business? What do they do to really train them to get good at uncovering and avoiding objections? What have you seen in your experience? What do they do to train them? Most organizations, not much. Yeah. Most organizations train people on delivering features and benefits waxing lyrical about their value proposition, and then stick an objection handling training course on the back end of that to deal with all the versions of maybe. There are very few organizations that put enough work in to being able to skillfully question individuals to avoid objections, which is actually a huge opportunity. Because the thinking framework around this is almost, if you've ever seen that movie, Eight Mile with Eminem, there is a rap battle scene in that movie where the Eminem character wait, is so fearful. Wait, that wait the what, other what guy movie is this you're talking about? This is What's eight, it called? Eight Mile. Okay, Eight Mile. And in said movie, what happens is, is the other character knows a lot of background information about Eminem that he's going to trash him in the rap battle. He's going to talk about where he grew up. He's going to talk about some of the things his mum done. He's going to talk about some of the things his girlfriend done. And Eminem is hyper aware of the fact that he's about to get trashed in this rap battle. So what does he do? He takes all that information, puts it up front in his sequence of words, leaving the other guy in the rap battle lost for words, creates mic drop moment, wins rap battle. Yeah, right. That is the same thinking methodology that I bring to objection handling. Like if you know that somebody might say the, well, you know, I'm looking to go with so-and-so because they are 30% cheaper than you are. Mm -hmm. If you know that you've got a competitor that they'd like to be interviewed as well as you, and that person is cheaper than you, well, why are you not writing a question earlier on in your conversation? Like, well, what do you understand about the differences between working with a full service agency like ourselves and an independent ABC like blank? They're going to say, well, not much. You're going to say, well, would it help if I walked you through the differences so you can make a more informed decision? They're going to say, yeah, sure it would. Well, guess what? Now we've been able to put evidence out up front that supports our argument as opposed to try and justify our argument when somebody questions our argument. Yeah, that's right. So have you seen organizations where they create a curriculum on this? The ones that have done it effectively, where you've worked with them, they've taken your advice. How often do they do this? Do they do this once and they're done? Or is it every quarter? What have you seen in that regard? I mean, when it's done well, what you're doing is you're bringing something right back to onboarding. So this is part of the culture of who you are as an organization and how you deliver onboarding and induction training to create a mm -hmm. fundamental thinking framework about how you approach sales and business development. It's then understood by everybody in the hierarchical arc of an organization so that the coaching conversation is always anchored with the fact that we know that prescription before diagnosis is malpractice mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that we're aware that prevention is better than cure in all areas of, of influence. So it runs through an organization. That means it shows up at morning huddles. It shows up at regular training sessions. It shows up at repeat training sessions on repeat, on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. That This isn't something that goes away in the same way that a high-quality personal trainer doesn't say, I told you once to eat yeah. less calories, work out more often, you've got it. That's right. 
there is a, a never-ending conversation about habits and behaviors that drive results. So why do you think organizations don't really jump onto this? What's been your experience with that? I don't believe there is a one-size-fits-all answer to that question. I think every organization is different. Some of the more repeat scenarios, I believe, is, is short-sightedness, is the individuals in leadership roles are so focused on what needs to be delivered this week, this month, this quarter, that they don't raise their gaze and think about the long-term effects. So what they do is they just whip people into trying to be able to deliver production or they or they try to incentivize for short-term big boost prizes to incentivize people into production as opposed to competently train the real skill that's going to allow people to, to evolve and grow. That's one reason. I think another reason is, is they don't know how. They never had any personal experience of this themselves. So the result of which is that they just echo and repeat echo and repeat the version of what they were trained or what yeah. they might have, have seen done. And then the other version is you've got L&D departments or HR departments that want to foster their career on creating this hypothetical magical learning experience that is all about blank, blank and blank, but don't consider the main message. And the, what you've got is this abdication of training, learning, and development towards a department that only care about training, learning, and development and not results. Yeah. So those right. are probably the three reasons that I see crop up is, is either you know this time crunch, a polite ignorance, or abdication towards somebody else in an L&D function to be able to create the learning experience. So they get a great learning experience, but it doesn't drive the commercial outcomes. That right, want. right. You know, I think from what I've seen, at least in professional services firms, even in law firms, they might think that, well, this is beneath them. This is something mm -hmm. that our professionals really shouldn't have to train on because we hire the smartest people in the world and they right. know everything. And I think that client-facing persona that someone has is, I have the answers to your problems, Mr. Client. I think that permeates all the other areas of their execution in terms of getting the only time i've ever work. seen a pro decide that they know all the answers is when their career is over yeah so if you look at the sporting world or any areas of excellence people are very good at commentating with full knowledge and understanding once they're no longer in the arena yeah that's right that's right but anybody that's still in the arena is focused on getting better getting better getting better getting better so if an organization at this period of time is of the belief that this is beneath us or that we've already got this stuff figured out. They're missing the main point. Yeah. Is if somebody's to win the Formula One championship, they are studying every corner, every turn, every point of acceleration, pre and post. They are aware of what is happening within their enemy. They understand the second place doesn't pay very well. Yeah. And as a rainmaker, second place doesn't pay very well. Like you yeah. can make a lot of rain, but if you don't catch the drops and if you don't then find yourself ready to be able to convert then as a marketplace titans, which is, I think, what all major marketplaces are going to do, because we've gone through rapid growth in the information age to be able to reach more people. But now those people have been reached. So the market got bigger. It's now just as competitive as it was going back in the localized market 30, 40 years ago. Right. So let me ask you this, Phil. What are some of the trends that you've seen or changes or lessons learned that came out of COVID? And how has that impacted the sales world today? I think you know what it takes to win trust and relationship is now understood different than what it perhaps was in the past. There was a huge generalized stereotype that says the only way that you could get somebody to know, like, and trust you is if you take them to a bar, to a restaurant, to a game, et cetera, and, and ply them with alcohol. And, and you know, that's how you make friends. I think COVID has taught us that 
the no like and trust triangle that so often gets talked about is it isn't all linked on this likability index towards the fact that you love to socialize with the people you do business with. Mm-hmm. I think they, the like has been redefined. I think no can be understood in a slightly different way. And I think trust has always been the biggest kicker, but all of these things have been redefined when that influence has needed to be done from a social distance. Yeah. It actually allowed us to become more articulate. But we also miss that what's happened through that same time period is, is an evolution in the information age. That's just happened at the exact same time. So we now have a far more learned consumer in every given area is that people have become trained to research decisions at a greater level before mm-hmm. meeting with mm-hmm. somebody they might look to be able to hire. Mm-hmm. So all of that means that a sales professional should look to be more consultative. A sales professional doesn't necessarily need to be the life and soul of the party stereotype, Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross, Wolf of Wall Street type version mm-hmm. that has once been heroined, is this is the time to win with things like genuine understanding of the person you're looking to try and influence. Yeah, This is the time to win where you are pulley and not pushy. This is the time to win where being strategically curious creates far more opportunity than having strong product knowledge and being overly enthusiastic. And it is a skills-based economy as opposed to a leads-based economy. And what I'm seeing in every big industry is leads burned and bruised by incompetence everywhere. They are burned and bruised by incompetence with the belief system that people think that there is another one, there is another one, there is another one, so no big deal, and forgetting the reputational damage by mm-hmm. incompetence touching somebody that could have been a client. Well, that's well said, Phil, and very insightful. Let me ask you this then. Let's say if you could summarize some of the things you talked about or even just generally give us three action steps that professionals can take to really know exactly what to say. What would those three action steps be? I think the first is, is something we touched on earlier. I just want to bring it back to the front of mind is to remember that the worst time to think about the thing you're going to say is in the moment you're saying it. Yeah. So decide today what are your critical conversations. What is a moment within a moment that could put more money in your pocket than right now? Like not, I need to get better at my initial client interview or my outbound phone call, et cetera. At what precise point in that one thing? Because when you can get focused on one thing, it can bleed out everywhere. So choose your critical conversations. Pick three, one commercial, one leadership, one life. Second thing that I would invite people to be able to focus on is give themselves rookie mode, by which I mean go back to the fact that you don't know everything. And whether that means grabbing my book or restudying work around influence and persuasion, plugging into Cialdini's work, starting to make yourself a student of the craft again. Start looking at saying, well, I'm in the business of influencing people. And it may even be say, well, I'm going to reread Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People that I studied 35 years ago. I'm going to go back to it. and I'm going to read it like I'm 17 years of age again with all of the knowledge I have right now to see what it teaches me today. Yeah. So rookie mode and be a student. I love it. Rookie mode. Rookie mode. That's great. And I think the third thing for focus would be to know that now's the time. So if you want to get better at your conversations, amplify the conversations that you're having with the people you're already having conversations with. Your existing clients are somebody else's prospects. Let me repeat, your existing clients are somebody right. else's prospects. There's always so a bigger if you're thing. not taking care of them, <laughs> That's right. your competition are going to be mastering new skills. 
Yep. And your competition are going to be getting hungrier towards your people. We're seeing a generational transfer. We're seeing younger people with more competence that people are making decisions to make changes right now. And that change could be away from you because your help has been pretty decent, fine, no great problems. Doesn't yeah. mean that you've done enough to keep them. Well, Phil, these are great insights. And I really do appreciate you being on our show today and sharing this. Tell us about your offerings. What is it that you have that you do that you'd like our listeners to know? And we'll certainly put any of those links on our show notes for everybody. Oh, for sure. I mean, I would love the, you know, the end of my life that my tombstone reads, you know, proud father, loving husband and creator of exactly what to say. So if you're not plugged into all things exactly what to say, then um, starting places, grab the book, right? It's nine, 10 bucks on Amazon. Great, grab a great book. book. Fantastic book. I've, I've, been familiar with I've, that. I've read, it, read it several times. It's great. I speak at conferences. I consult to large organizations. We do a lot of exec work behind the scenes in help building training frameworks for organizations that want to be able to win. And then past that, another thing people might love to know that is, is in the repertoire of services that we provide is um, I deliver now certifications around exactly what to say. So we bring people to our offices in New York or I travel to them. We go deep on the book over a three-day experience and help people understand the methodology behind all the sequences of words within exactly what to say to help them expand their knowledge base and bring that back towards their teams. That's great, Phil. We're going to put all of those links on the show notes, including a link where people can get your book directly. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom here again. I'm sure we'll have you back on the show in the future. And thank you again so much, Phil. Hey, I appreciate it. Thanks, brother. And always good to see you. Likewise. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.